Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore some of the challenging topics of life, faith, and culture that we find ourselves facing in an ever-changing contemporary world. And each week we talk with authors and theologians, pastors, experts that help us connect with daily experience and challenges with our faith and an understanding of the Bible. Well, welcome. This is Ben Lowell, and I'm your guest host, as Isaac and Daniel can't be with us this week. And, and it's really their loss, because we're speaking with Phil Calloway today, author, speaker, host of Laugh Again. And full disclosure here, Phil and I uh, share not only a ministry together, but we're good friends. So I'm excited about the opportunity to be sharing this time with Phil today. Welcome, Phil. Fantastic to be with you, Ben. Great stuff. You know, the primary reason we're here today is to chat about a new booklet that Laugh-Again's released, authored by yourself, of course, and it's called Five Steps to Making Life Rich. Now, I got to start out by asking you, first of all, just to give some context to who you are and, and what you value, maybe you could share with us, maybe, what's your life verse and why? Ah, life verse? You know, I think because of some difficult valleys that we have been through in life, um, the one that's usually prominently displayed on the fridge and in my memory, I hope I can remember this now that I've said I've memorized it, uh, but it's Romans 15, 13, and it simply says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, I'm telling you, sometimes at night, um, even recently, just some things going on in our life. And, and you think, wow, without that hope, I have no idea where I would be. And uh, we have a God who is a God of, uh, that fills us with hope. So there's my, I guess, life first. Well, that's fantastic. It really does fit into what you're all about and what the ministry of Laugh Again is and, and all the books you've written. And I don't know what it is. What's it now, like 29, 30 books? Uh, it's uh, yeah, I think it's still under thirty. I'm I'm supposed to do a thirtieth one at some point, but uh, we shall see if that ever happens. Well, that's impressive because I have a hard enough time just sort of filling in a an information sheet or a cue card or something like that. It's it's, it's <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but that's that's pretty incredible. And and I know they've touched a lot of people. Tell me a little bit. What was the first book that's a best selling book that you've that you've had? The first book that I wrote uh, was called Honey, I Dunked the Kids. And uh, that was way back 100 years ago when you know Disney had a movie out, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And I had been writing a column on family issues because I was a young dad in my 20s wondering what in the world I was doing um, with three kids suddenly in three years. You know, the anesthetic from the first birth was still working for the third. It was just crazy. And I, I was asked to write this column uh, for Servant Magazine, and I said, I can't do this. I said to my wife, I'm, look at me. I'm an imperfect dad. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making this up as I go. And she said, just tell stories and tell us there's hope. Um, so that's sort of what I did. And uh, that book, they, you know, it's funny to reflect on some of those days when 
I had, uh, I called them or they called me or something from Oregon, from the publisher harvest house in those days. And they, they, uh, said, um, yeah, Hey, your book's doing well. And they, I, I said, well, how many has it sold? And they gave me this figure of, a. <laughs> and I said, well, is that good? And the lady just started to laugh and she said, that's unbelievable. So God, you know, despite all my failures and shortcomings, somehow uh, is able to use my gift of humor, I guess, uh, the ability to see things uh, maybe in the midst of tragedy, even to see things that we can uh, turn into a bit of a smile and can help get us through. So, yeah, anyway, to answer your question, that was, honey, I dunked the kids. And uh, Ben, have you even read 30 books? Uh, just yours, Phil. I only read <laughs> Phil Calloway books exclusively. Um, so until you write another one, actually, I'm reading a book now, and I've just started it. Uh, it's called Jesus and John Wayne. I don't know if uh, you've, you've read that book or seen that book. I don't know. But it's quite interesting. I haven't got far enough into it to say that I would recommend it. But it's quite an interesting book talking about uh, evangelical culture in North America. So. Right. Yeah. I haven't read it, but I've been told to, so I will. I uh, uh, Just to show you that I'm a, a Christian, I have a Bible by my bed, and I'm reading that, going through the Gospels um, over and over, actually, this year. I read through the Bible last year and thought, I am going to read the Gospels, just one after another, and then I'm going to go back. So I'm doing this about every 25 days, uh, reading the Gospels, and it's been tremendous. And right beside my Bible is a little book, well, it's a big book by Jerry Seinfeld um, called Is This Anything?, which is what comedians do. You know, I, I uh, talk to a friend and I say, hey, is this something here? If I were to talk about, you know, um, how we can scale fish or, or whatever it is, right? So uh, anyway, that's a, a bit of an eclectic. Well, um, that's quite a contrast, isn't it? The, the Bible and Jerry Seinfeld. I, I, think I, so? I don't think we have to go into that deeply, but maybe speaks a little <laughs> bit more into your mind and your personality. I, you know, I'm, I'm a huge admirer of those who can, and for the most part, Jerry does this, is keep things clean and intensely funny, the ordinary things of life. You know, looking at milk in the fridge and the expiration date and being able to do, uh, you know, about three minutes on that. It's its a tremendous gift. And I, I think often with comedians that I see who are just kind of making a shipwreck of things, I think, man, God gave you a gift. I wish you'd use it, you know, at least at the very least to, to cheer people up in times like these. And, and I know they sometimes do, but uh, I was just on a talk show in Las Vegas that uh, an atheist uh, was telling me what makes him laugh. And, and it was just, you know, crude stuff. That's all that makes him laugh. And he was mocking kind of what I was doing. Um, but I've found that, that good humor, like we use on Laugh Again, has the power to motivate and cheer and encourage and uh, that's what I'm here for. I, I just, you know, I, I think you feel very, very empty leaving a building, having made people laugh about horrific stuff. Yeah. You know, one of the things I admire and uh, about you, about the mission of Laugh Again is, is you do make people laugh. You make people laugh through story. But there's always this, what I like to call this hammock of biblical truth underneath, that people can't go away from seeing you live or uh, listening to you on radio or or watching you on Laugh Again TV and not get this sense that 
there's a bigger purpose here. There, there's more to what you're doing other than simply a chuckle here or there. And that's what Laugh Again is about. Tell me about that. Why Laugh Again? What's the basis for it? Why do you do it? Well, I think, you know, if I just bottom line, um, I want to cheer people up. I want people to say in the midst of whatever they're going through that God is bigger than this situation. And, you know, so I got into comedy to cheer up my mother, who was incredibly depressed, um, you know, battling this. And in an era when they didn't even, you know, the D word, they never used it. It was, um, it was, my mom was sick. That was it. And so I, I found, I remember saying to my mom, I want to grow up and be a comedian. And she looked at me and said, well, you can't do both. <laughs> you know, you can't grow up and, and be a comedian. And she's right. You know, every day I get to go looking for things that make me laugh and I try to pass them on to others. So um, what I'm trying to do, I think, is, and you and I talked about this when we first began praying about laugh again. Um, it's just that we want to do something that people can hear on the radio in Canada and it's in other countries as well. But though they maybe don't have this uh, foundation of faith in Christ, we'll enjoy it and, you know, and then get it, uh, that God loves them, that he is not who they think he is, that we have a loving father who redeems us and gives us purpose and hope in life. Uh, so I think that's that's what we've been trying to do. But, you know, I, what I told you about mom and depression, what we've discovered is that people, I, I'm telling you, every day, like this morning, an hour ago, um, you know, another note from somebody who is really, really down and discouraged um, and is is just, they just wrote me about the, the video that went up. Uh, I don't even know which one it was. I think it was about my my 10th grade English teacher telling me you have a gift in the area of communication. Every other teacher seemed to want to strangle me. And he saw something good, uh, which changed my life. It just frankly did. So she was very encouraged by this. And she told me, you know, this is a very tough time in her life. And I hear this every day. I hear this over and over so if I could spend the rest of my life just speaking to discouraged people and trying to cheer them up with the hope of the gospel, I mean, that's, that's our hope. Uh, our hope isn't laughter. It isn't comedy. It's the hope that Jesus Christ has given us by uh, making us to be at peace with God through, through his finished work on the cross. So I do want that to always come through in whatever we do. But there are times when we just, we just need a good laugh. And I want to provide that as well. That's fantastic. You know, I think that was sort of the the purpose, and not only about laugh again, but this booklet, five steps to making life rich. And uh, you know, through it, you you've provided five principles or five insights for us that I think you know cross boundaries of demographics and everything else, because you know we're living in an age right now with so much uncertainty. And, uh, you know, whether you're a young child and, you know, I have grandkids, you have grandkids. And, uh, you know, I was talking to my son the other day uh, who's in his uh, early 30s. And he was saying, Dad, it's such a different age right now because my kids only know so few people. 
they're not involved in community right now. And, and I got to wonder, how is that going to impact them down the road? Or what are going to be the adjustments when things, when things open up in this COVID world? And, and uh, then my, my mother, you know, who's in her, her just, I think she'll be turning 90 this year. And, uh, you know, she's been really isolated. I, I praise the Lord because my sister's been able to see her, but she's isolated. So we're living in a world right now where everybody, uh, regardless of your background or your age or whatever, social, economic, we're all struggling. We're all struggling to sort of keep, keep a grip on things. And so a ministry like this and a book like this, I think, really presents a timely perspective of hope. So... Tell me a little bit about some of the principles uh, that come out of this booklet, Five Steps to Making Life Rich. For sure. Ben, if I could just preface it by saying I'm with you. I'm with your kids. I'm with my kids who are all in their early 30s. And I'm kind of I'm COVID cranky right now. Forgive me. But, you know, I'm ready to get back to doing what what I normally do. Um, We haven't been you know, hardly on an airplane in the last year. Uh, so you go from 100 to zero in three days. That's kind of what's happened. As you know, you know, over 100 speaking events well past that are gone for me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and if this is a help to someone, I got to say, we are right now, I was reading a, a psychologist just yesterday who's saying we are languishing. That was his term for it. Um, you know, we have no idea what this is going to look like when we come out of it. Here's what I I absolutely am certain of. We have a mental health crisis big time on our hands. And I think this booklet can be a huge help to to listeners who are saying, yeah, I need something right now to to pick me up. Because I, you know, I mean, I don't know if you ever complain, um, but I have been more than normal. I am not normally a grouchy guy. But my wife woke up grumpy this morning. Here I am. I'm grumpy. <laughs> and I, I, was, I heard a story about this Hungarian guy who went to see his rabbi and he said, life is unbearable. Uh, there are nine of us living in one room. You know, what can I do? And the rabbi answered, um, take your goat into the room with you and then come back in a week. And the guy said, oh, huh? And the rabbi said, yeah, that's absolutely what you got to do. Take your goat into your, your room and then come back and see me in a week. So the guy returned a week later and he was way worse. He was absolutely frazzled. He said, we can't stand it. You know, the goat is filthy. It stinks. Um, what can I do? And the rabbi said, well, go home, let the goat out, and then come back in a week. And a week later, the guy returns smiling and he says, oh, he says, life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there's no goat. You know, only the nine of us in one room. And I think perspective makes all the difference because we, you know, we know the verses, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In everything, give thanks. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. But I think we probably right now don't need people coming into our face and just, you know, pointing their finger at us and saying, well, you just need to be thankful. But man, does it make a difference uh, if we really do that in the midst of all of this stuff. So that's that's my long preface, Ben, to uh, what, what was your question? I forget you know, now. I forget now. You forget. See, this is the great thing about having two grandpas on. There you go. Um, yeah, five five steps. You were wondering kind of basically what 
I, I don't know if I should give those away, but why well, not? Give Maybe. a couple of them away to it. Eric, let sure. me ask you yeah. this question. Let me ask you this yeah. just, just to start it out, because I was really interested. One of the things I find really fascinating is sometimes we can hear quotes from people and we can think to ourselves, oh, that's such a, that's a, such a great quote for today. And then find out actually that it's a quote from somebody that lived 400 years ago. Now, now I'm not I'm not suggesting that Tozer was uh, is 400 years old, but I, I love this quote you have uh, in step three, and maybe you can help pen that out a little or flesh it out a little bit for us because it says, "We must show a new generation of nervous, almost frantic people that speed and noise are evidence of weakness, not strength." Yeah. Yeah, isn't that good? I that's in uh, the third section in this booklet, um, which is rich people know the speed limit, and I write a little of my own burnout. You know, uh, doing so much, and um, I think giving my kids, wanting to give my kids the things that I never had growing up below the poverty line, and what I discovered in the end was that what my kids really wanted was me. Tozer, I think maybe if he were alive right now, writing that quote would have added that fear uh, fits into that picture. We must show them that, you know, fear is not an admirable trait, uh, but we are being taught by turning on the news and, and the anchor bids us a good evening and spends an entire hour telling us why it isn't, or we're watching YouTube, we're, we're, we're seeing posts on Facebook that just add to more and more fear. When in the midst of this time, I think we need to find something that relieves that stress, where we say, I am not going to start the day with the news. I am not going to start the day with my phone. I think this is a huge step to personal peace, where we say, what I'm going to do is I'm, upon opening my eyes, I am going to give thanks to God for a few things. Maybe that is just, it's water from a tap. You know, I miss being in other countries, Ben, like we were going to be in during this time where we meet people who have almost nothing. And you realize, you know, I need to give thanks to God when I wake up, that I woke up in a bed, that, that there is a coffee machine and I can smell it from here. You know, I need to give thanks that I have a roof over my head and that I'm going to have breakfast this morning. Start there. But also before you allow yourself to get into the routine of your day, and is anything routine right now? I don't know. Would you pick up the Bible and just read it as far as you need to, to get to some comfort or a challenge? Start there. And I've discovered in doing that during these COVID cranky days that I'm in, it makes a tremendous difference in starting my day right. So that was, you know, uh, rich people know the speed limit. Um, man, we are on, on fast forward in our world, and we need to be able to push pause and play. Uh, as I say that, I realize that even COVID has, has just seemed to make so many things obsolete because some of us are saying, yeah, I'd like to be on fast forward again. Uh, I don't have a job. And maybe that's where you are. But don't miss this time. Don't miss these days of being able to really deepen your relationship with Jesus and focus on things that will last in the end, uh, rather than getting so uptight and so stressed out. I, one of the letters that I got, Ben, uh, from this 
uh, was from a guy uh, when I wrote the book, Making Life Rich Without Any Money. A guy near Calgary who at that time, he told me, he said, I am one of the highest paid guys in this city. He said, I came home to my ranch south of Calgary near High River. And he said, I smiled. I pulled up in front of my barn that is absolutely jam-packed with uh, antique cars and some pretty hot new ones. And he went to, into his house and there was a note on the table. And it just was from his wife. And it said, we're gone. Please don't try to find us. And there was no buy or anything. And he knew their marriage had been in shambles for years. His daughters hardly saw him or cared about him. And so many times I have received responses like that from this. And one of the five steps in here is to know where the buck stops. Rich people know where the buck stops and they realize that money cannot buy them relationships. And it makes a tremendous difference when you uh, start there. And I want young people today to pick this up and, and see that these are foundational steps to a truly rich life. And uh, what a difference. So many have said, if only I would have had this uh, when I got married, if only I would have had this when I was younger, I think it would have made a tremendous difference in my life. Wow, that's fantastic. Listen, I want to get your permission for a second. Can I get personal for a second? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. I want to ask you an interesting, for some reason, it just came to my mind right now, because I want people to understand what they hear when they listen to you or watch you on Laugh Again TV or read in any of your many, many books, is there's just a real authenticity uh, to who you are. So I want to ask you this question. Over this last year, what have you discovered the worst about you? and the best about you? Oh, good question. Uh, I would say the worst would be my inability to see the long-term at this point and wondering if, you know, and when we come through it, what things are going to look like for me. So it would be, I suppose, a lack of trust because I, you know, I know the theology of these things that God is not surprised that God will be with us. Um, but I get my focus off of him and I and and I start to complain. And I think beneath all of that is is just this lack of trust. So I don't know. Does that, that sure that's probably not vulnerable enough. Well, I no, mean, I think I'd that's like... great because I think a lot of us as Christians in our isolation will be think and behave in such ways that we would not behave when we are in public when it comes to this stuff. It's like, I have feelings, I have thoughts, I have impressions about the things that are going on and the decisions that are being made, uh, but sometimes I have to uh, edit those thoughts and perspectives because they're not constructive. They can be destructive to other people as well. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I've learned about myself is I have to learn a little bit better how to um, edit myself. I've got this thing on my computer screen now that says, assume you are wrong. 
And uh, for me, that's a great way to start any conversation now, because I want to tell people how much I feel about something or my perspective on something rather than listen. And I think that's one of the things over this last year, not just through COVID, um, but through all the issues of race and things of that nature. I hear this overwhelming tone that people say, you know what, I just want to be heard. I just want to be listened to. If people would just hear me out rather than seemingly to uh, um, tell me everything they know about something. Okay, so besides that, what's one of the best things you've learned about yourself? <laughs> oh, man. I would say one of the best things about me is my marriage. Um, we've been married for 38 years. We met when we were 15. And Ramona just absolutely loves me. And, and it's the most stunning thing on the planet uh, that a woman who has seen me at my worst would love me that much and has for all these years. So, you know, we, as you know, Ben, you get during COVID, you're, you're spending an inordinate amount of time together as a couple. And we haven't minded at all. We just, we love that. You know, that's, I suppose, the best thing about me. I, I'm intrigued by what you were talking about related to listening and in the midst of COVID. And I think you're so right. If we could come, we as believers in Jesus, from the standpoint of humility to people where we say, you know, I mean, how real do I get here? We have somebody in our lives who basically goes into a situation, whether that's in a store or the post office or whatever, and makes her views known so that everybody standing there hears. And I'm just embarrassed. I don't want to be in the room. As followers of Christ, we come humbly, forgiven people, aware of God's grace. And so, you know, our default position can never be a position of, well, I'm right and you need to listen to me at all times. We need to think, so can I learn from this person who does not agree with me? I think that would be a good thing. You know, Lord, give me the grace and the strength and the wisdom to, to learn these things. Uh, rich people are people people is, is one of these five steps. And in it, I talk about listening. You know, the secrets, one of, that's one of the greatest secrets to friendship. You know, two great talkers won't walk far together. Um, you have to, at some point, be interested, intensely interested in other people. And I think during COVID, you know, uh, for listeners, th this might be a helpful little tip, but to phone somebody else, to phone somebody that maybe you haven't talked to even in this whole thing, but somebody that you know you could encourage and just ask them how you're doing and start with a compliment. I've always appreciated you. You can't believe what that will do. The first 30 seconds in a conversation is the most important. Uh, in, in keeping that conversation going and just, you know, taking an interest. I, I heard about a girl who was voted most likely to succeed in her high school class. And they asked her why. And she said, I listen. And, and then she said this, my dad taught me when I was a little girl that everyone on earth is at least just a little bit lonely. And I've never forgotten that. And I thought, yeah, we are. We are relational people. And so uh, I hope this booklet goes a long way in, in helping people strengthen themselves in that area. Uh, but being able to listen is certainly a, a huge part of it. Fantastic. So 
that leads me to another question. I guess I'm wondering, what would you suggest are some of the uh, tips to survive a pandemic kind of thing? Uh, but I'm talking about, I guess, specifically about Christian people. What what are some survival tips that you have ex- maybe experienced and then might pass on uh, to others? Well, I would start by saying, you know, we have been programmed, stay safe. And please don't get me wrong when I say this. There is nothing safe about this planet. Everybody that's landed here has died. That's just simply the way it is. At some point, we're going to cash in our chips. (laughs) Um, So next time you hear the term, stay safe, say, I'm going to stay thankful. I'm going to stay thankful. I, I think that is the biggest and best thing we can do during this time is be known as grateful people. In your relationships with non-believers, this can be one of the, the greatest magnets to the kingdom of God, is to see gratitude in action. So I would say that for me is, is the biggest secret to being sane right now. I mean, I, you know, I, my family deals with depression. This is a difficult time. I'm hearing from people whose children have taken their lives during this time. It just makes me want to weep. So somehow we have got to do things that will be good medicine during a time of mental health difficulties. And the first major vitamin for me has been gratitude. Ben, I think when I was speaking somewhere and you heard me tell this story, but it was of a Sacramento, California event where they had oversold it by 1,500 seats. This was a women of faith event. And that's a wee bit of a problem for organizers. So they began to ask volunteers to phone all of these ladies coming and apologize to them. But one hour into that conference, they were ticked off and they were writing notes. Uh, They began to arrive, you know, complaining. My neck is sore from looking so sharply up at the stage. Uh, the, The seats, the chairs are too narrow. You know, my buns get wedged in in it. It's not good. And so they asked the next speaker if she would just address the problem and apologize once again for the inconvenience of this thing. And boy, if COVID is anything, it's inconvenient, I'll tell you. Um, You know, at the very best it is. She said, sure. She was wheeled onto the platform in her wheelchair at 16 years of age. She was paralyzed in a diving accident. I've been able to spend time with her on a couple of occasions. Johnny Erickson Tada said this to the audience in front of her, thousands of of women. She said, I understand some of you aren't comfortable sitting in the seats you're sitting in right now. Um, Neither am I. And I've been in mine for more than 40 years. And she smiled her beautiful smile. And she said, I have thousands of friends who would give anything to sit where you are sitting if just for tonight. I think we can start there by realizing that there are people in this world, like people in Brazil, who have it far worse than we do. I have friends in in the Philippines whose teenagers have not been able to go out of their yard, out of their yard for a year plus. Unbelievable. So let's start there, uh, though it's very, very tough. And whenever you can, do something that will build you up. I'm talking about scripture. I'm talking about listening to laugh again. These things can make a tremendous difference on our 
on our focus on, you know, uh, like, like the guy visiting his rabbi, you know, and finally coming to the place of going, wow, there are only nine of us in one single room. We don't have a goat in here anymore. So if you need a goat, we'll send you one, won't we, Ben? We'll be sending out goats. <laughs> yeah, we'll be sending out goats, uh, free gift. No, uh, that that's great, Phil, because I think you're right. I think, you know, that that sense of gratitude, that sense of, of perspective. And, you know, uh, Johnny Erickson Todd is a perfect example, you know, of, of being a, uh, a woman uh, who early, early in her life became a quadriplegic. And, and I can just see, you know, as you describe it, I can just see her sitting on that stage in her wheelchair and just smiling and looking out on all those people complaining because life is a little bit inconvenient. And then all of a sudden looking up and hearing her words and saying, now there's perspective. And I think that's sometimes what we have to glean is some perspective. I think we also, Ben, that's, that's great. I, I think we have to go looking for that perspective if we're going to find it. We're going to, you know, okay, you, you know a little bit about me, um, you know, the, my frustrations that we've discussed on the phone over this thing and losing all these speaking engagements and whatever else, right? And I'm thinking, I just, I want to do something for, for God during this time, something big. And here I am, I can't even get, you know, 300 people in front of me in an audience and, and oh, poor me. And during this time, God hit us with five grandkids, three of them adopted. And today I got to tell you, Ben, that Andre and Maya, all the paperwork is done. We are celebrating this because their mother was killed tragically during COVID, the very outset of it. And our kids were asked, will you take these two kids? They're five and they're four. And they called us to say, what would you do? I said, well, I'm going to have to take them if you don't. And I'm 112. So I'd forget where I put them most of the time. But I, I find myself on FaceTime with these grandkids. Both of them, they knew nothing of Jesus. Zero. And during COVID, both of them have come to love Jesus. Andre, <laughs> I was reading to him, Pinocchio, you know, I, I, with FaceTime, you can put the picture down so they can see the pictures and you can read. He's six. He says, Grandpa, he says, is, uh, is Pinocchio a Bible story? Well, he wouldn't know whether it was or not. And it has some, you know, good biblical truths in it for sure. <laughs> and I said, uh, no, Andre. He said, why are you reading Pinocchio? You know, tell me about the Bible. <laughs> and suddenly we find ourselves memorizing scripture together. And they're teaching me, they are teaching me that I have my idea what's, of what's big. What's big right now is that I can take the next right step and I'm faithful. And I think my definition of big stuff is starting to change. And we just need to be faithful right today. Yeah. Well, Phil, thanks so much. You know, I think uh, through this last uh, half hour, we've been able to maybe uh, share some of uh, our own personal experiences of this last year, but hopefully provide a little bit of hope and acknowledgement that, you know, in the end, you know, if we can uh, uh, just uh, get some perspective on what's most important. And of course, what's most important is our daily walk with the Lord. Uh, In the end of the booklet, it says this, the truly rich find no lasting pleasure in that which fades away but in bringing hope to others 
in setting their sights on eternity. And if, I, if that could be a challenge or a charge to anybody listening today is, is bringing hope to others. I find that, you know, if you take your eyes off your own concerns, your own worries, your own burdens, and you place your eyes on what you can do to bring hope into the lives of others, some of your own burdens sort of get washed away. So I'm grateful for your booklet. I, I have to say that we're making uh, the five steps to making life rich available for free during the month of May uh, for all of our Laugh Again listeners or viewers or whatever the case might be. And uh, so we want you to have a copy of this of this booklet that I think will offer you some hope and uh, we'll also uh, perhaps pass it on to somebody else who may be uh, discouraged this time. But thanks again, Phil. Fantastic as usual. We really appreciate having you around and appreciate your friendship. And uh, keep up the good work, would you? And you too, Ben. And can I get one of those books for free? Uh, no, Phil. They'll cost you seven ninety nine. Oh, no. Come on. <laughs> All right. Great to be with you. You're just the best, man. Thanks again, folks, and thanks for listening to In Doubt, and uh, look forward to seeing you again next week as well. God bless. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hey, this is Isaac, one of the hosts of In Doubt, a ministry of Good News Global Media. Is it possible that being a Christian young person could be any more complicated than it is today? How do we make right choices and decisions when so many opinions around us seem contrary to what it means to live for Christ? At In Doubt, we hope to help make sense, biblical sense, of those difficult choices, decisions, and the complexity of faith, life, and culture in 2021. So join us every week for another challenging conversation in our response as God's people. For everything in doubt, visit indoubt.com. And if you'd like to help us continue to offer this program, you can make a gift of any amount at indoubt.com or by calling 1-844-663-2424.